the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. We have uh, much to talk about, much to talk about today. We'll visit with our old friend, Mark Schneider. Mark Schneider, who is, of course, uh, the um, one of the... I, I, I was thinking about this. One of the people that for about three or four years had been the leader on talking about Generation 4 nuclear power, nuclear power in general. And um, he's been busy. He's doing a lot of things. So we haven't heard from him on the radio. We got him today. We'll talk about nuclear energy and what Europe's doing and other things. And we also will visit with Michael Volpe. Michael Volpe is a um, investigative journalist. He does a heck of a job digging into some of the toughest sets of issues and talking about them, especially when it comes to the court system around families and children and uh, the Department of um, uh, Child Protective Services, those places. Really interesting man. Michael Volpe has got a substack. We'll talk with him. But first, we have to talk about the, the slurs and the smears, the slurs and the smears and sovereignty. So what you need to know right now is that Poland is being roiled by an ongoing scandal um, that is the creation of the left-leaning press. And it is the creation of an American company that has a, um, uh, a uh, it's called um, Discovery and has its own channel in um, um, in uh, Poland. It has its own network in Poland. It's able to be in Poland. And they have done what can only be described as a hit job. Hit job, TVN it's called. That's the broadcaster in Poland, but it's owned by the Discovery Channel, or not Discovery, it's Discovery uh, Company. And they did a hit job on John Paul II. Now, John Paul II, St. John Paul the Great, is probably the most prominent Pole, Polish person in history. I mean, there's some debate. You could do some others up there, but he's an extraordinary story. Having been uh, a young priest during World War II, and then living through the communist regime that had seized Poland and then becoming Pope. And there's nobody, there's nobody that has come forward with any kind of uh, a slur like we're seeing now. And it's the Pelosi, you know, smear and slur. The smear is you float this story, you get coverage of it, and then you cover the coverage. And it's about when he was back in Krakow as the archbishop there, it's they're, they're alleging that he uh, moved priests around that had had a problem with abuse, sexual abuse of children. Here's the problem: the 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 what they're relying on, and they're not even covering this. Is this see this is how the smear was? The, if you go to the documentary itself and the book that came out, you look and you say, "Wait, they're relying on the communist secret police's records." which are notoriously lies. In other words, if you're the communist secret police, you lied about anybody who was a threat to you. And so they've gone to those records and they say, oh, look, there's something in the records. That's not reliable. But here's a here's an article in Politico a full two, two and a half, three days later, four days later. And the whole article is not about the truth of the documentary. It's about the coverage. 
And it's about the politics and it's about the ruling party, the nationalist law and justice party, which objects to this. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a story about the Catholic church and in Poland. It's a story about process instead of about the truth. And it's a classic move to smear and slur someone. And it's, it's an outrage. It's an outrage. Now I have told you, you've heard me talk about it, but I could say a little more in a little more depth. I worked for John Paul II. When he was the Pope in 1997, I was invited by him to go to the Vatican during a, bi- a meeting of the bishops of North and South America. And I was asked to be an expert for youth. I was then in my 20s. And I went and I spent just about just under five weeks in uh, the Vatican uh, in Rome working for John Paul II. I saw him every day. I saw his assistants and others, and I did translation work. I participated in the discussion. It led ultimately to a document that was called Ecclesia in America that he promulgated about a year later. It led to him visiting St. Louis, Missouri, uh, while I was living there and working for the church about a year and uh, two months later. And um, in fact, the uh, document Ecclesia in America was released in Mexico City on his way back from Mexico City to his home in Italy. He stopped by St. Louis and I, ho- I was a part of the team that hosted him. So I knew him very well. I mean, I knew him to say hello and talk and he would ask about me and ask about my family and different things. Um, at that time, I was unmarried. So he'd ask about my brother and uh, my family, my sister, my dad and mom and all. And so. I have some sense up close of the guy, and then I watched his papacy very closely, and I happen to be a lifelong Catholic. It is the ultimate slur and smear to do this, and it's being done purely because the success of John Paul II and his positions on life and on abortion and on um, uh, family and on everything, his, his sense of uh, philosophy on on human person, I mean, just an extraordinary success, but it's political. It's a smear and a slur meant to damage the Polish ruling party, which is up for re-election in this coming fall. And so you sully the conservatives, in this case, John Paul II, and the ruling party, and your hope, like, like Biden did, to turn out younger people. The people that will fall for this are the TikTok generation. And so the TikTok generation... Is who they're targeting. You know, it's the same game that Biden did. What you need to know is when you do this hysteria that is unfounded and ungrounded, for example, Joe Biden spending his time talking about democracy on the ballot. What nonsense. And yet it works for a certain number of people. Why? Because the media joins in. The media and the narrative machine kicks in hard with big government, big, uh, excuse me, big government, big media and big tech working together. In this case, it's not the big government. It's, it's other aspects of the government. And this, uh, the communist, the communist secret police records are being cited. So that's a little bit of residual big government, but big tech and big media are mobilizing it in Poland to damage the ruling party in Poland. In America, you just pick a topic. You could do Joe, the, the, um, Donald Trump, how he was treated. You could do the Russia, uh, fraud that how that was done. You could do any of the uh, hoaxes that are done January 6th and you watch the narrative machine weaponized against we the people but back to my point the tiktok generation the younger people who are being inundated by the messaging from tiktok 
And by the way, TikTok is communist. Do you think TikTok has an interest in denigrating John Paul II, who was a communist fighter? Do you think TikTok has an interest in denigrating and stopping Donald Trump, who stood up to China? Sure seems like it. Sure seems like it. And the TikTok generation will be will be inundated and flooded and not be able to have a grounding and founding in the truth of what happened. It's hard for a 60-year-old to forget the communist Soviet regime and what they had done to Poland. But it's not hard for a 16-year-old to not even know what that was, to not even feel what that was. This slur and smear campaign, what you need to know is it was orchestrated by an American company. It was managed by the Western left-wing elites in the American company and in the in Europe who are sympathetic to the destruction of people who believe in God and family and life and anti-communism. And they are either communists themselves or they're dupes, idiotic dupes for the communist regime in China, which is happy to destabilize the, the image and, uh, and reputation of, of John Paul II. And it's happy to make our kids crazy and damage America. You talk about democracy on the ballot. Joe Biden is a threat in his attitude and his, his positions to the success of the American Republic. There's no doubt about that now, but this slur and smear. In, and I, if I look, if I'm Poland, the, the steps I would take, and you know what you need to know is we ought to think about them here. You got to silence these things. You got, if I'm Poland, I don't let this uh, entity keep running a station. It's not about, it's, it's not about uh, censoring speech. It's about a foreign nation influencing our lives. In Poland, a foreign American nation doing this smear and slur. In America, Chinese regime, Chinese communist regime, TikTok influencing our kids. It's crazy to allow it. It's insanity to allow it. It should be stopped. We'll see if it is. But I can tell you, you know what? I'll tell you something. The uh, polls are not going to mess around. Uh, the polls don't mess around. Like Americans, where there are, oh, maybe TikTok. We like TikTok, whatever. The polls are not messing around. They are, they are, I guarantee you, they're going to deal with what the threats are. And they're, they're going to be clear-eyed. You know why? Because they were wiped off the map 60 years ago by the Soviets. They know what it means to lose your nation, or at least be beleaguered. All right, we'll take a break. We'll be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report, back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. It's been a while since we talked to uh, my friend, Mark Schneider, uh, who um, for a while was like the I don't know, maybe the top two or three people out in the country talking about the questions around uh, some of the green energy, but more importantly, nuclear energy. And so this morning when I saw a um, an article uh, that was uh, talking about the issues of energy and all, I think it originally ran in Politico. Yeah, it was actually European. Uh, I like to look at I tell my I tell my uh, listeners, Mark, I, I, I read Politico. But if you click on Politico correctly, you'll end up in the European version. It's very interesting to see. And so um, I sent him a piece about uh, what they're doing in the uh, European Union and all. And uh, I thought we'd catch up. So welcome back, Mark Schneider. How are you? I'm doing great, Ed. Thanks for having me again. Uh, well, it's great to have you. Now, first, um, broadly speaking, the march towards clean nuclear to a nuclear that works, it doesn't melt down, it's able to be managed, it continues marching on. 
what's the update? What do you know? Uh, give me some uh, sort of thumbnail on where we are. It's been a little bit out of the news, I think. Well, the big news in the United States is that Vogel Unit 3 went uh, critical for this to- for the first time. That means that the reactor was brought to life, if you will. It had its first, you know, took its first breath. Um, so it's now operating. It's generating power for the very first time. So that's huge news. It's the first Gen 3 reactor built in the United States. So uh, that's a big thing. Um, the other thing, just around the world, there are more countries that are building nuclear. Egypt has broken ground on a four-unit facility um, out in UAE. They've just brought online their third uh, nuclear unit. Um, and then the big news out of China, actually, is, is that they have a Generation 4 reactor that is online now. So now you have Russia and China that are using Generation 4 reactors. And nowhere else in the world is doing that. The march towards nuclear is continuing to progress. I just wish, wish the Western world would catch up. Uh, we're talking with Mark Schneider. Again, Mark, um, when you hear that China is uh, uh, Gen 4 uh, online, Russia is, are we behind now? I mean, and I think I know the answer we are, but are we, are we far behind, America? We're not far behind. We're, we're behind in, in a regulatory aspect. That's what's, what's holding us back. We know the technology. We just need to allow it to be built. But unfortunately, bureaucracy is getting in the way of the Western world. The um, uh, And then Europe is, uh, I mean, there are they, uh, I think France is uh, happy to be in nu- a nuclear, right? And they've gone back to it. Is, there, is Europe understanding that you're never going to go green unless you uh, go nuclear? Um, Europe is understanding that. Uh, Germany at the end of last year figured that out and uh, delayed shutting down their nuclear plants because they realized that, uh, A, they couldn't hack it with the uh, what's going on with Ukraine, so they were having to import too much uh, Russian uh, energy. So they had to keep their nuclear units online. The other thing is, is that if you look at Russia versus France, or sorry, Germany versus France, Germany's paying double for their energy prices. They're the most polluting of the Western uh, European nations because they're they keep shutting down their coal plants and they're pushing for the quote unquote greened uh, wind and solar. In fact, actually, they're bringing more coal units online to make up for their lack of power because of bringing more wind and solar online and shutting down their old nuclear units. Uh, again, we're, we're talking with Mark Schneider, get an update on nuclear. Um, the uh, so what are the next what 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 if the next five years, what do you expect to see? I mean, will there be a point here, Mark, where um, everybody suddenly realizes, holy cow, uh, we should have been here or we should be here faster and it will become sort of I mean, we already have like AOC up in the Democratic caucus in the House who said, hey, um, you know, we're going to be um, we're going to nuclear is going to be part of the solution. That's a big change. Right. Is are we going to see sort of a accelerating momentum or are we still going to do this fits and starts? I mean, I think I know that you'd say, look, under Trump, there was an openness from the regulators but there, there still were regulations and lots of things that slowed it down or, you know, sort of regulatory wise. But now you have antagonism from the regulators, but still there's momentum. Are we going to see an acceleration of the momentum? Is that your best prediction or is that your best hope or where do you think we're headed? I think that everyone's realizing that uh, that we probably should have been doing nuclear, you know, in 2005 when George Bush was pushing it. That's when we should have started uh-huh. and we were starting. But then Fukushima hit. And that took a big old chunk out of the momentum. And I think that we're just now getting back on track with that. When you look at companies like New Scale, companies um, like uh, 
BWX, uh, they are their reactor, their reactors are getting licensed or licensed, and they're ready to start production. Uh, I believe it's next year that uh, the UAMPS project out in Idaho, uh, which is a six-unit uh, small modular reactor, this is somewhere right. between a Gen three and a Gen four design, right. is going to start construction. And uh, and it looks like what I'm what I see around the news and and in conversations I have that uh, New Scale slated to build 200 units in the next two decades. That's a lot of reactors. Now they're smaller reactors, only about 77 megawatts compared to the big, you know, 1100 you know megawatt uh, AP 1000s. Um, but I mean, still that's a that's a lot of reactors. And when you get they're really going to be factory built. Right. So you build it yeah. in a factory, ship it in, put the stuff together should be uh, relatively quick. And I think we're going to get there a lot faster. We just got to we just got to get through the the initial production st- stage. We're in the low rate of initial production is where we're at. And once you get low rate, then it's on to full production. And I think we're about 10 years out from full production. Uh, we're talking Mark Schneider again. Mark, you must have uh, smiled when you saw um, or read the. Uh, when uh, Trump was proposing brand new cities, um, because I, I got to figure at some point, you know, you, you, trying to get trying to fuel or trying to get the uh, necessary energy to keep certain cities. Uh, I, I'm up in Washington, D.C. right now going. It's just this kind of, you know, uphill task. It's like Sisyphus. You push the damn dang thing up and it rolls back on you. It may be that, you know, the, the, the Mark Schneider in 10 years is going to be, you know, brought in to, to help design a city or maybe a towns it's going to be that have energy and that that a solution could be its own nuclear generator right yes actually absolutely and the great thing is is that with these new designs that are coming out you can scale them right so you have a big city let's say you want to use an ap1000 reactor but then you have a small city like a small town you could use an oklo aurora right so we have scalable solutions based on the size of a town you know, a, a giant reactor, a thousand, you know, one gigawatt reactor is going to power several hundred thousand homes. Whereas, you know, one of new, one of, uh, um, Oklo's reactors is only going to power about a thousand homes, right? So you can scale it based on where you are. Um, I like using my idea is would be if I could, if I could redesign the grid as it is, um, we could go to every substation and throw in one of these, uh, micro reactors. Oh, oh, I see. Quarter acre. Yeah. And, uh, you know, power a thousand homes and then, you know, in the event of a major outage, you can still put power onto the homes that are nearby. I got you. I got you. So that you think that's it. You think that's uh well, and and maybe that's more practical. A, a, a small, I don't know. Practical might be the wrong word, but more likely, you, you're less likely to get large scale uh, people moving to new towns necessarily, right, or to new cities. So um, that may be the better uh, solution. Although uh, it would be exciting to see how you could, as, as you say, design uh, scale one up. Uh, okay, last question. Number one thing that could happen, like tomorrow, to make things in America move better for nuclear is there one aspect of the regulatory thing is there one person don't say president biden or anything like that i mean is there one specific thing you say people don't realize you could make this work a lot better if this happened um the biggest thing would be to put someone who understands these advanced nuclear designs in charge of the nuclear regulatory commission or to um exercise the civilian uh, option for executive order one, two, three, four, four, which is the direction of the, uh, director of naval nuclear propulsion for a non water cooled reactor. 
that's the next step we need to do is get away from water cooled and we need a change in mindset. And whether it's naval reactors or the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, a shift in one of those will mean a shift in the entire mindset of the nuclear nation, the regulatory side of it, and we can get there. Did you have that in the past? Was there somebody good in that spot in the past or do people not even realize how important that is? Um, uh, the first director of Naval Nuclear Propulsion, Admiral Rickover, oh. <laughs> uh, is the one who who set the tone of nuclear energy through the uh, 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. And that was when we were uh, dramatically increasing our use of nuclear energy. Hmm. So, one of, uh, again, we need a new Rickover, if you will. Yeah. I nominate uh, Mark Schneider, but that's another, that's another for another day. All right. Hey, Mark, thank you. Thanks for the quick update and jumping on with us. We appreciate you very much and uh, wish you well. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Mark Schneider, everybody. I'll put up on social media too. He's uh, at sub Schneider. I meant to say that. I love to tease him about his Twitter handle. He has a retired Navy man who is uh, uh, on uh, submarines uh, and also is an expert on uh, nuclear power. So uh, very helpful to get his input. Uh, we will take a break. I'll put uh, up on uh, social media the article that uh, he and I were referring to. It was mostly initially about Europe and what Europe's doing on their um uh, energy, uh, but great to get an update on all the nuclear uh, where we are. We'll take a break and we will be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Time to catch up with my friend Michael Volpe. And I got to tell you, Michael, you know, you sent me one uh, uh, one of your from your Substack, michaelvolpe.substack.com, a link. And I was checking it out and I was looking back. Uh, you know, if you go to that um, Substack, michaelvolpe.substack.com, uh, Michael does incredible. It's called Michael Volpe Investigates. He's an investigative journalist digs into these things. I, Michael, how, how would I, how would you describe how you got into this space? What I'd say is you're a very, very astute investigator into our justice system, especially around family courts and around uh, families. But how'd you get there? How'd you end up in this field? In, in, by, by accident, my brother was going to Emory University uh, many years ago. He found an article about corruption at Emory Medical School. And I was just fiddling around with a uh, with a blog. So I essentially just like retook that article. And a guy named Kevin Koritsky contacted me and he was an Emory University whistleblower. And it went from there. Uh, and that was many years ago. And Kevin's gone to jail for an unrelated matter, though. What he blew the whistle on at Emory, which is the they have all kinds of conflicts with the hospital where the medical school is. Uh, they do the residency. It's called Grady, which is one of the biggest in the world. And they essentially just screw over the patients at Grady who are all poor. That's who goes to Grady. And then hmm. create all of these conflicts and make a bunch of money. Uh, my brother wasn't going to the medical school. And it is a fine school, but that medical school there at, at Emory is extremely corrupt. Hmm. Wow. Well, it's, it's yeah, it's amazing that it's amazing the coverage of digging into this stuff, and it's I, I salute you for it and encourage you. We I wanted to get on, and, and I'll tell you, Michael's a good uh, 
a colleague for me, he'll send me an email and say, hey, here's one you ought to look at. I think it would be important to talk about. So, and I, and it's one of those I looked and I said, yep, I can see that. So, um, uh, Michael, walk us through, um, the, the case of, uh, of, of this, this gentleman, uh, Joseph Marcy. What happened and specifically how the court system, I don't know, in, in, in spurts, I don't, it, it got it right or got it wrong a couple of times, depending on who's telling the truth, but it certainly right. is inconsistent. Walk us through this, please. So many years ago, a family member on the other side, so from his wife's family, called in a complaint to Child Protective Services alleging that Joe and or his wife were hitting their daughter. Right. This caused a CPS case. And it, it, this all happened in Pennsylvania. In Pennsylvania, they, they have a court related to this. His daughter testified. The judge in that court said she's not credible because she's very easily influenced and suggestive. Uh, he was about to get his daughter back. And the same CPS caseworkers that had just blown that, that physical abuse case now claim that all of a sudden she had accused him of sexual abuse. That gets taken to trial. He's convicted in 2012 of molesting his daughter. Uh, he's serving a 20 to 40 year sentence. And 20 years is very unlikely because he, at least for now, unwilling to admit that he right. did it. Uh, right. and that's the only way you're going to get the bottom. Uh, and soon after, there were reports that she recanted. And she did, in fact, recant. It uh it winds up, they call it post-conviction relief act. So it winds up back in court in front of the same judge, uh, Joseph Ogello, who presided over the initial trial. She recants. And for people who don't know, recantation is, is very weak, according to the court in general, when you're trying to overturn a conviction. Um, but in this case, Ogello, who heard her testify first, heard her testify again, reverses the conviction, This not the state, but the county, this Luzerne County, which is where the Kids for Cash scandal happened. Um, right. They appeal it. Uh, their argument is, no, she was credible when she first testified, not when she recanted. The appeals court doesn't even care about the substantive article the argument, and they claim that Joe didn't file in time, and it gets very deep into the weeds. It's a very gray area. But what people should know is if Luzerne County felt like he didn't file in time, they should have they should have said it to the PCRA judge, Ogella. They didn't. They certainly should have said it to the appeals court. They didn't. The appeals court is called sua sponte. That's the legal term. Right, right. On their own decided that this was done not in time. And since that time, and for almost a decade now, that's the argument that's been made is whether or not he is or is not on time. No, Luzerne County, I interviewed the DA who's doing the appeal. They continue to insist, no, her first uh, initial testimony was real, everything else since then. But she talked to me, and his daughter's over 18, her name is Destiny. She, It's not that, that she just uh, said her dad did it when he didn't. CPS caseworkers, police, other people in authority, they manipulated her when she was five, six years old to get her to say that her dad did it. She said when when she and, and it was another guy, she says, who did it. Whenever she would bring that guy up, they say things like, we don't want to hear about that. We want to hear about your dad. And when she would say, oh, my dad did it, she'd get teddy bears, other gifts. This sort of thing works on people our age. You can imagine a five year old 
And so this looks like they, they wanted someone convicted and they did everything they could. And then now the courts and the prosecutors are using a very, very deep in the weeds legal technicality to keep him in jail, even as their corruption is immense in this case. And that's probably why they argue this very deep. You know, if you're asking, why are they keeping him in jail if everyone can see he didn't do it? Right. Well, because it seems like they did a lot wrong and they want to keep him in jail. Uh, Michael Volpe is our guest again. Uh, Michael, go to his web, uh, his Substack, michaelvolpe.substack.com and to look more into this. Michael, I want to pause and go back. I didn't interrupt you and, and I, and I find it so interesting and important and I'm glad you're writing on it. I'm glad you come on my program and we can circulate your voice on this. Pausing though, one thing. Pennsylvania has one, a specialized court for this stuff, right? I, I, I want to underscore, I want to underscore for our listeners that one of the things that has happened over the last, and correct me what Michael, when I'm off a little bit, if I'm off only a little bit, you can let it go. But if I'm off by a lot, but probably in the last 30 to 40 years, there's been the proliferation of these specialized courts who are invested in, if I can say, the notion that they are finding wrongdoing and fixing it. And it's kind of like, you know, if you, if you, if you, if you say, if you give a dog a bone and then say, you know, uh, I'm not doing that well. It's not good. But you, you know, you're saying, Hey, here's the, here's the topic we're on. Let's go find it. Oh, here it is. I got it. Now I got it. If you a hammer to a hammer, everything's a nail. And so is that, tell us about that court in Pennsylvania and the proliferation of these courts and how that's working and fitting. I know you've written and talked about it. I know, but a lot of people don't track this well enough and need to hear it again and again and again. I, I don't know if it's 30 or 40 years. There, there are a lot of specialized courts. And, and I think basically what you're saying is the court needs to justify its existence. Exactly. There's a, yeah. There, there yeah. are housing courts. There, in this case, it was, a, it went to a, like a specialized trial for like CPS abuse neglect cases. So a judge decided whether CPS, um, in in the special court, it normally just goes to like like the 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 family court system, um, and and I don't know if it's ever like a no, and it can be a judge, but in in this case, that's who heard it, and and as I said, that particular judge said that Destiny was not credible because she was easily suggestible, and then they go and and give her another uh um like crime against Joe, but I, there, there are a lot of different courts. I, I don't, I don't know if that means that they're finding wrong, but, but there are certainly a lot of different courts that are created. And that's not a generally a state by state. The states have the power and the authority to create whatever court, not whatever, but based on the state constitution. And that's, that's a 10th amendment issue. The, the state can create its own court system. Uh, and, and so as long as that court system doesn't violate the U.S. Constitution, which certainly a, a housing court would not do, a CPS court would not do, uh, they can, they can do based on their own state constitution as they please. Uh, but they do, they do create a lot of specialized courts. The, the, the positive, what, what the defenders would say is that that's how, you know, like, like in bankruptcy court, the judges only hear bankruptcy and then they know that very, very well. Um, the, the detractors will say you're creating a lot of different courts. Uh, and then you, then the, the other way is somebody would hear 
a criminal matter one day, that judge, and then a bankruptcy matter another day. Right. You're expecting them to have expertise on everything, and they wouldn't necessarily have expertise on everything. And and, and I can tell you specifically, more than one judge has complained, I, I hate being in child custody, of, of all the things that they get to hear. That's the one thing that, for the most part, the judge will complain about when they do complain. Um, so the judges... and. And this all is different in different states. So in the states where the judges filter through multiple courthouses, you will hear primarily when they're complaining about child custody. It's uh, again, Mike, Michael Volpe is our guest and uh, his substack, Michael Volpe, uh, excuse me, Michael Volpe dot dot com. I sometimes mess that up. Uh, OK, Michael. So back to the uh, Marcy case. Um What's next? What's possible? Um What, what kind of uh, help? Is there uh, to be had either from the bully pulpit or from ac- practically from uh, any federal or, or national elected officials? But w- what's next in this in this matter? So he he has a lawyer pro bono, a guy named David Roth, who who teaches at least part time at Yale. So this is no uh, slouch. But essentially, the same arguments that have been made the whole time are still being made. the The prosecution will will claim that the initial um, that that her, that Destiny's initial testimony is the credible one. Everything else ever ever since is not. But also that he didn't file it in time. the The first argument seems to be academic because the same judge Ogella was in the 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 first the first trial and then heard the the recantation. So he's in the best position to to judge. And you really want to give him deference. The other one is a just even lawyers, I think, would not find it uh, interesting. But the the oral arguments were made. And, and what Ross said is he's waiting for a decision from there. Three years ago, I wrote about this on the Daily Caller, and we were waiting for a decision from a, magi- from a federal magistrate judge. And he actually overturned the conviction shortly after my article came out. But then it went to the full panel and the full panel overturned him. And so now this is the appeals court on top of them. And I don't know what you can do. You, you can't, you're not really supposed to call the appeals court and try to lobby for it. You can call the governor of Pennsylvania and ask that, uh, that, that his sentence be commuted because the argument here is over a very technical issue. No one really thinks that, that he's guilty and there's no evidence anymore of his guilt. The entire evidence was destiny. She's no longer willing to testify he did it. She's saying someone else did it. So you're keeping the guy in jail on on a legal technicality that almost no one can understand. As far as the legal technicality, John Hakem was the lawyer who did that appeal. And what he told me is that based on their argument, if he had filed when they claimed he needed to file, he felt that Ogella would have dismissed it because right. the filing would have been defective because it wouldn't have had enough. So he said, well, then you're, I'm going to catch 22. I, in order for me to get it past Ogella, I, I, I wouldn't have been able to file when they say I'm supposed to file. And now after it got past him, they're saying I didn't file it in time. And right. as I said, the, they didn't argue this when it was in front of him. They didn't even argue this when it was in front of the first appeals court. The first appeals court on its own decided that right. has been filed not on time. And yeah. that suggests that shady things are going on, that they're using legal technicalities to keep them in jail. And you can see why. If they pressured a five-year-old to say someone who didn't do it did it, 
Meanwhile, protecting another guy, that would be the reason they want to keep him in jail. Well, it sure is. Um, first of all, it's a mess. And uh, second of all, I'm glad you're shining a light on it. Um, and uh, people should go and learn more about it. And if they, especially if we have uh, listeners who listen to the sh- uh, podcast or uh, a standalone link that are in Pennsylvania, if you have a way to uh, uh, raise your voices. Hey, thank you, Michael. As always, thanks for all the investigations you're doing and, and getting out there on these issues. Michael Volpe, again, michaelvolpe.substack.com. Appreciate it very much, Michael. Thank you for having me. All right. We will take a break and we'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. We'll be back in a moment. And don't forget, go to ProAmericaReport.com. Sign up there for the daily emails and we'll be right back. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. When corporate interests are directing our government, bad things are going to happen. Many people think that these corporate influences are hard to spot. But not all of them involve backroom dealings that are withheld from the public. One prime example is Dr. Fatima Stanford, who uses her position of authority on President Biden's 2025 Dietary Guidelines Advisory Committee as a bully pulpit to traffic blatantly inaccurate medical advice that is downright deadly. Dr. Stanford went on 60 Minutes to champion the idea that obesity is a genetic condition that individuals are all but powerless to address. She told the interviewer to, quote, throw willpower out the window. If you were born to parents that have obesity, you have a 50 to 85 percent likelihood of having the disease yourself, even with the optimal diet and exercise, end quote. Dr. Stanford went so far as to sow distrust between doctors and patients by claiming that doctors do not understand obesity and that up to 90 percent of doctors are biased against obese people. All of this builds on the left's identity politics narrative, which tries to create a system of privileged and oppressed classes based on whomever the left feels is more worthy of sympathy. If you're wondering why Dr. Stanford would make these absolutely unfounded claims, look no further than a tiny footnote on her resume, which reads that she advises companies that make weight loss drugs. In other words, and based on the advice she gives, she certainly seems like a bought and paid for advocate for a company whose business model depends on Americans not eating right and exercising. Wearing a white coat and brandishing big science like a sledgehammer, Dr. Fatima Stanford is on a mission to convince your kids to fill up on french fries and donuts. After all, obesity is genetic, right? This profit-seeking rhetoric is potentially lethal to anyone who will give it credence. Yet the Biden administration is all too eager to give this corporate shill a tall platform from which to preach her deadly gospel. Corporations have no business getting intertwined with government. President Biden should know better. America's children deserve better than Fatima Stanford's lies and whoever is paying her to share them. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report with Ed Martin, president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. These culturally relevant commentaries, along with videos, columns, and bulletins, are waiting for you at phyllisschlafly.com. That's phyllisschlafly.com. Plus, find, follow, and share our news and views on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Parler, Gab, and Twitter. Thanks for listening, and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, let me uh, follow up on something. Uh, We've been talking about the January 6th, folks. um, But let me follow up and tell you that Due Process Denied, Due Process Denied is the name of 
uh, of the book that um, that uh, Cynthia Hughes wrote. We talked about that. Got a ton of attention. It's also the name of a docu series um, that is uh, rolling out right now, and it is about the uh, January sixth families about what's happened uh and it's it's going to be a docu-series meaning there's going to be at least two maybe three episodes could be more uh but the first one is basically about what's happened and how this has impacted families and um it's really good i've seen it i play a part in it there's a handful of the lawyers who uh contribute but lots of the voices of the families and their powerful voices so do if you go to due process denied.org due process denied.org you'll see the trailer and you'll get a sense and uh, you'll see that there pardon me there's the trailer as well as there is the video uh the first episode which is out right now it was previewed and mentioned uh, on uh, don donald trump jr's don jr's uh podcast the other day so it's been getting a bunch of attention already and it will get a lot more so again due process denied.org due process denied.org you can check that out and uh and you can uh, watch it's free it's not something we're selling it's something where we um got support to do and we're promoting because we want to get the word out so due process denied.org uh thank you as always to the great noah dingley our producer for all his help and to ryan height for uh, associate producer for all the work they're doing we will be uh, back tomorrow as always and appreciate you very much promarkreport.com is the website i'm ed martin be back tomorrow Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.